Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? That's what I'm talking about. Thank you guys so much for the way that you just leaned in to worship and the way that you sang. And um, it's just been, there's been an incredible presence of the Lord in the house um, just all morning. And, and I'm excited for that to continue. I'm excited about today's message. Um, if you've got your Bible, you got a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to um, the Old Testament. If you're using a traditional Bible, you just open it up to the middle and you're going to land in the book of Psalms. Or you can dial that up. Um, on your cell phone or whatever that you are using on the Bible app, Psalms 23, um, because today we're in part three of a series called 23, where we're taking a look at what is arguably the most well-known of all the Psalms. And so back a couple weeks ago in part one of the series, I issued a challenge for us to all memorize Psalm 23 together over the course of this series. And I'll tell on myself um, in the first service, because um, I've been working on rememorizing Psalm 23 in a different version. And so in the first service, as I was reciting it, as we read together, I kind of slipped back into my old days of the King James Version as I learned as a little kid and everything. So I'm still working to get it right. But if you would like to join with us in that endeavor, there's a card like this available out at our coffee stations um, or at the Green Next Steps 10. It's got the series graphic on one side. It's got Psalm 23 on the other side. You can simply put that um, on uh, your, your desk or your bathroom mirror in your car, somewhere that you're going to see it every day. And we just encourage you to take a few minutes every day and um, practice memorizing that verse because the Bible tells us that when we hide God's word in our hearts, it helps us to steer clear of sinning against him. And that's the kind of church, that's the kind of people that we want to be. And so that's one of the ways that we can go about doing that. But as we have done each week of this series, I want to invite you to stand with me and we're going to read or recite Psalm 23 together in unison if you need the words, they're going to be on this screen behind me. So beginning in verse 1, let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can be seated together. You know, two weeks ago when we started this series, we focused in on the first five words of verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. That's foundational for the rest of the psalm. And, and, and what we did there is we came out of those five words, we came to a couple conclusions. The, the first of which is to acknowledge Jesus as our shepherd means that we also must acknowledge that we are his sheep. And then beyond that, then it's the acknowledgement that if, if the Lord is our shepherd, then we have access to the blessings and the promises that are made to us through his word. And that everything then hinges on our willingness to surrender to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. 
And then last week in part two of the series, we discussed Psalm 23's revelation to us of the good shepherd as our provider in that he meets both our physical and our spiritual needs. And so today we're going to zoom in on verses four and five together, which reveal to us the good shepherd as protector. And those verses read this way. Beginning with verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And so for the next few minutes today, I want to highlight the four things that the good shepherd protects us with. And so if you're taking notes, maybe you want to prepare to write those down. But before we jump into those four uh, things, those four areas of protection, uh, I'd like to highlight maybe some interesting notes about these particular verses in the 23rd Psalm. Uh, There's a couple of shifts that take place here. The, the, the beginning, or the, the, the first shift is that the focus shifts from he to you. In the previous, um, in the previous verses, David, who is writing this, um, is talking about he in reference to the shepherd. But now in verse 4, he, he talks uh, about the shepherd by using the word you. And so David is no longer speaking about the shepherd, but instead in this moment he shifted to begin talking to the shepherd. And, and this is indicative of his close relationship with the good shepherd. And the second shift that we see here is there's a shift in theme. And in, in these couple verses, the theme becomes darkness. Maybe you picked up on some of the key words there being shadow, death, evil, enemies. And, and whenever I say words like that, we talk about the realm of darkness. It conjures up what is a natural and common experience for all of us as sheep. And that is the concept of fear, right? We all have fears. No, no doubt we could go around the room this morning one by one and we could amass a stack of fears a mile high here today. Maybe, maybe you, uh, w- even when I, when I say the word fear, you think of something, you're thinking of it right now. Maybe it's a fear of spiders or snakes or sharks or clowns. Maybe you're afraid of a doctor's report or having enough money to pay all the bills or losing a loved one. Maybe you're afraid of confronting a coworker or being stuck in an abusive relationship. Maybe this morning your fear is that some secret sin in your life would be exposed. Or maybe you are simply afraid of getting out of bed each morning. And if that's you, I want to say congratulations for conquering, overcoming your fear. You're here. You made it. You did it. But the truth is is that at the root of all of those fears is is one common denominator, and and it's the unknown outcome. It's that that we're not sure what might happen in the future. And so the the key word here, as as we've talked about like each week, there's been a different key word. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down big and bold at the top of your page. Um, The key word here is faith. It's faith. Faith is the antidote for fear. In fact, in the, in the middle of uh, when, when the, the COVID pandemic was at its highest, 
we saw like all kinds of paraphernalia, t-shirts and bracelets and hats and all of these things that were popping up, particularly in uh, evangelical church circles that, that had the phrase faith over fear, right? We saw that run rampant and, and, and it, it may be cliche and, and kind of corny, but, but it's actually true. Like faith is the antidote for fear. Here's what Hebrews chapter 11 says about faith. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So, so faith then is the evidence for that unknown future, for the thing that we are unsure about that brings that fear to us. It's the evidence of what is going to happen. And, and the truth about faith and fear is that they cannot coexist together. In any given situation, it can be one that is filled with fear, or it can be one that is filled with faith, but it can never be one that has elements of both. You are either operating in faith or you are operating in fear, not some mixture between the two. I love this quote from Bob Proctor. He says, faith and fear both demand you believe in something you cannot see. You choose. John Gordon says this, he says, fear and faith have one thing in common. They both believe in a future that hasn't yet happened. Fear believes in a negative future. Faith believes in a positive future. So if neither has happened yet, why don't we choose to believe in a positive future? It makes me think of a story I read once about two explorers that were on a jungle safari when suddenly a ferocious lion jumped out in front of them. Keep calm, the first explorer whispered. Remember what we read in the survival manual? If you stand perfectly still and you stare the lion down right in his eyes, he will turn around and run. Sure, said his companion. You've read the manual. I've read the manual. The question is, has the lion read the manual? <laughs> you need to know this morning that your enemy has read the manual. He knows that he has already been defeated. He is, he is under the recognition right now as we speak that his days are numbered. And the good shepherd, that we are his sheep, he is the very embodiment of the manual. And he is going to protect his sheep at all costs. And so for the next few minutes today, let's talk about the four things he uses to protect us as his sheep. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, the good shepherd protects us with his company. He protects us with his company. Psalm 23, 4 begins, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That even though in the Hebrew, it literally means when. So it is not a matter of if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It is a matter of when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Make no mistake about it. You will walk through the valley at some point. For those of you who have placed your hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're under the lordship and leadership of the good shepherd. If, if there's anybody out there that ever told you that on this side of faith in Jesus, it was going to be all sunshine and rainbows, that person is what we call a liar. Because even those of us that have surrendered to his lordship, there are going to be times in our life where we are going to find ourselves in the middle of that valley. 
And if you're here this morning and, and you're not too sure about where you stand on this and, and you're still trying to figure out if, if you're going to place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, number one, I want to say thanks so much for being here. I'm glad that you are. Number two, you need to know that just because you place your hope and trust in Jesus doesn't mean that immediately all of your problems are going to fade away into the distance. There are still going to be moments where you have to face life's difficulties. There's still going to be things that, that come against you. But what the psalmist says about those things here is that, that it's, it's the valley of the shadow of death. And what we know about shadows is that they cannot hurt us. They cannot stab us. They cannot wound us. They cannot maim us. The only thing that a shadow is capable of is intimidation. But every time I see a shadow, I'm reminded of a song from one of my favorite bands, Switchfoot. They have this song, and, and, and the, the chorus is simply, the shadow proves the sunshine, right? So anytime there's a shadow present, it's always a reminder to me that there has to be a light source in order to make that shadow exist. So every time there's a shadow, it should be a reminder to us that the sunshine is not all that far away. Here's what we know about sheep. We know that sheep lack good vision, so they don't like to enter into dark places. And since sheep are unable to see well, they will easily conjure up what might be lurking in the darkness. We do this all of the time. We enter into a room where there's no lights on and it, it's shadowy and, and, and the shadows of one thing will cause our brains to imagine that it's something else entirely. Like scientifically what happens in our brain is when the picture of whatever we are looking at is not clear, our brain will actually begin to utilize previous uh, experiences from other realities, other things that, we've, that we have, have tasted and touched and felt and, and, and been a part of. And it will begin to piece together pictures of what is probably there. And often we tend to assume the worst in those moments. Like, that's not a rocking chair with a blanket over it. It's a serial killer with a knife. Like, that's just what we think for some reason. And, and in those moments, what, when, when we can't see clearly and things are fuzzy and our, our brains are jumping to the worst possible conclusion, it's, it's in that, that moment that the sheep must completely rely on listening to the voice of the shepherd. So in the darkest times of your life, when things are unclear, when things are out of focus, when, when the, the voices inside of your head are telling you one thing, but the word of God is telling you another, which voice are you going to listen to? Which words are you going to place your faith in? When we place our faith in the word of God, it, it tells us that Jesus, the good shepherd, that he will be with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This doesn't mean that we won't have to face any difficulty. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience any adversity. It's just that we won't be alone while we do. See, Jesus is not asking us or expecting us to go anywhere that he hasn't gone through himself First. He, he is there, he's leading the way, and he's beside us every step of the way. And what his word says is that, that even though I walk through the valley, 
of the shadow of death. That means that there's an end to it, that, that it's not going to be forever. We're not just stuck in it, that, that we walk through the valley means that at some point when we are following the lordship and the leadership of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, that we will experience the mountaintop once again. It's in that moment that we see that, that he is what the Hebrew says, uh, calls him Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. The Lord is present. It reminds me of a story that I once read about the early Native Americans who had a unique practice of training their young braves. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting, scouting, and fishing skills, he was put to one final test. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. See, until then, he had never been outside the security of his family. He had never left the safety of the tribe. But on this night, he was blindfolded and taken several miles away. And whenever he took off the blindfold, he would find himself in the middle of a thick, dense woods where he was terrified. Every time a twig snapped, he would visualize a wild animal lurking in the shadows ready to pounce. And after what seemed like an eternity, dawn finally broke and the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. And looking around, the boy saw flowers, trees, and the outline of a path leading his way back to camp. And then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was his father, who had been there all night long making certain that nothing was going to happen to him. See, some of you who find yourself in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, you need to be reminded of the words of Matthew 28 and 20, where Jesus says, be sure of this, I am with you always. Somebody today needs to stand firm on the promise of Joshua 1 and 9, which says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Somebody needs to rest on the promise of Isaiah 43, verse 2, which says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Somebody needs to stand tall on Deuteronomy 31 and 8, which says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never fail or abandon you. The good shepherd protects us with his company this morning. Number two. The good shepherd protects us not only with his company, but also with his cover. The good shepherd protects us with his cover. Continuing on in verse 4 of Psalm 23, we read, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That word comfort, it literally means to aid, assist, or support. To bring relief in the midst of affliction. To console, to give freedom from pain or anxiety. And it's here that the psalm reveals to us the, the Hebrew name of God that is Jehovah Azer, which means the Lord is my help. In other words, he's got our back. He's got our back. It makes me think of one of my favorite scenes in the movie Forrest Gump 
where Forrest has enlisted in the army and he is in Vietnam with his good buddy Bubba and the rains have come and, and everything and they're sitting there at camp one night and Bubba looks at Forrest and says, Forrest, I'm going to lean up against you and you lean right back up against me. That way we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. Like some, somebody, the good shepherd, he, he's got our back. And the way that he does that is with both his rod and his staff. First, let's talk about the staff. The staff, when, when you think of the staff, you, you imagine like the, the mental picture of the shepherd you probably get is, is a long, thin stick, and it's got a crook at the top. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And, and the shepherd would have used that to lean on or to steady himself. When the terrain got rocky or when he was in need of a break, he would lean on that staff. And it's a reminder that we can find rest leaning on the shepherd, knowing that he is secure and firm. That, that when we become uh, weary in the midst of the journey, we can lean on the good shepherd and he will provide rest and make our footsteps firm. Not only does the staff provide us with rest, but it also provides us with rescue. That crook that was on the end of the staff, the shepherd would use it to pull the sheep from the brambles or the thorn bushes or to lift it up to himself should the sheep have gotten injured. And so we can depend on the shepherd to pull us out of difficult situations that we may find ourselves stuck in. That when we make a poor decision or when we find ourselves in a sticky situation, we can call upon the good shepherd to come and rescue us. The staff provides us with rest. It provides us with rescue. It also provides us with a route. The shepherd would use his staff to guide the sheep in a particular direction. He would point the way for them to go. And, and should one sheep begin to wander from the flock or to get too close to the edge of a rocky cliff, the shepherd could reach out with a staff and, and nudge them back onto the correct path. This seems like a great opportunity for me to plug our life groups we're getting ready to launch a brand new semester of life groups and, and as the shepherd of this house allow me to gently nudge you on the path that you should go like you need to find your flock you need to find the people that you can do life with you need to get out of these rows and get into circles and do life together get in where you fit in and make that a priority. Get around some other people in a home or in a restaurant or in some other place in our community that, that are moving in the direction of Jesus Christ and link arms with them and begin to do life together with them. It'll make a significant difference, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you and in our community at large. I would encourage you to do that. You can find all the information about our groups on our website. There's a groups tab. You can find them uh, for those of you that use the Church Center app, or if you have questions or are trying to figure out how you can get into a group and you're having trouble, simply stop by the Green Next Steps tent after service, and someone will be there to help you and point you in the right direction. But when we aren't sure which way to go, which path to take, we're able to call upon the Good Shepherd to show us the way, and he will gently nudge us back in the direction that we need to go. The staff provides rest, rescue, and a route. This brings us to the rod. The rod is useful for two different reasons. First is in combat. Shorter than the staff, the rod resembled more of a club that the shepherd would wield with precision. 
Should a predator come along to threaten the sheep, the shepherd would, would chase it away by striking it with the rod. So you need to know that should an enemy launch an attack against you, you can call on the good shepherd to step in and come to your defense. Not only was it used in combat, the rod was also used for counting. Each night, the shepherd would have his sheep pass underneath the rod and into the fold. He would count them and call them by name as one by one they passed. And he would use the rod to look over and inspect them for any cuts or bruises or other issues that may have developed in their travels throughout the day. You and I, we can trust in the good shepherd, knowing that he sees us, that he knows and calls each of us by name, and that he counts us as one of his very own. Isaiah 43, 1 says this, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You know what? When when someone asks me how many children I have, I don't say, it's somewhere between one and three. I'm not sure. No, I don't say that. I know how many children I have. Exactly, precisely. And I count them because they count. And they know that should either of them find themselves in a difficult situation, they both know that they can call on their father and that I will step in and help because I have their back. It is the same way with the good shepherd. He knows us. He knows the number of sheep that are his. And anytime we call on him, he will step in because he has got our back. The good shepherd protects us with his company, with his cover. Number three, the good shepherd protects us with his care. Protects us with his care. The beginning of verse five in Psalm 23, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What do we do at a table? Eat. Some of y'all are a little nervous. Like that wasn't a trick question. Like that's what we do. We eat. But you know what? Last I checked, that was not an ideal strategy to engage in battle, right? Like no one runs to the battle with a Big Mac and a supersized fry. Like that's not what we do, right? We, we pick up weapons. But what, what, the, what the psalmist is communicating here and, and what we have to understand is that it's not our battle. We're not the ones that are fighting. We get to feast while he fights on our behalf. Right? Because he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Y'all sit down and eat. I got this taken care of. And it's in this moment that we see the Hebrew name of God, Jehovah Nisi. He is, the Lord is my victory. Jesus talks about this of himself in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, where he says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. See, in the evenings, the shepherd would put out food in the field so that the sheep could eat it and then, or or not in the field, in the fold so that the sheep could eat it and then lie down and go to sleep. 
The shepherd would then lay across the entrance to the fold, making himself the door. And so if, if a thief or a predator were to come to harm the sheep, they would have to go through the shepherd first. It makes me think of a few days ago, we, we sent our kids off to school. They drove away together in the same car for the first time, both of them as high schoolers. My son is a senior, my daughter is a freshman. They fight like cats and dogs on a regular basis. But in that moment, them going to school, I, I never worried about my sweet, precious daughter, Avery, being a freshman in high school. Because I knew that if anyone was going to mess with her, they would first have to take on her 6'3 brother. <laughs> right? If you're going to get to Avery, you got to go through Luke first. Because even though they fight like cats and dogs, he's not going to let anything happen to his sister. It makes me think of a story I read once about Lori Anderson, who was a missionary to the head-shrinking Kandoshi Chopra Indians of Peru. She was once looking for a quiet place for her daily time of Bible reading and prayer, and so she went down by the edge of the river. The story goes that after reading the Bible, she took up her prayer list, and with her eyes closed, interceding on behalf of those on the list, she didn't see the deadly anaconda that was weaving through the water until it struck her burying its fangs into her flesh. It withdrew to strike again, hitting her arm over and over as it held her screaming in its tightening coils. It reared up for the final death blow, but then suddenly the giant snake, which has never been known to release its prey, relaxed its grip and slithered off into the water. While Lori was being treated, a witch doctor from a nearby village burst into her hut and stared at her. She couldn't believe that Lori had survived. She said that her son-in-law, who was also a witch doctor, had actually chanted to the spirit of the anaconda that morning and sent it to kill the young missionary. I'm certain, Lori said, that except for the protection of God, it would have worked. Except... For the protection of God. It's what Exodus 14 and 14 says. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. We get to feast while he fights on our behalf. He's not going to let anything do us in and be our demise. He's got our back. The good shepherd protects us with his company his cover, his care, and finally, number four, the good shepherd protects us with his consecration. His consecration. Later in verse five, we read, you anoint my head with oil. And it's here that we are introduced to Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. And when we see oil here in this particular scripture, it's, it's actually utilized twofold. One is a, a practical way that, that um, each night the shepherd would literally anoint or pour oil on the head and the horns of the sheep because it would keep pests away like flies and ticks and fleas and things. It would keep them from buzzing around and from biting them. And it would also be used to soothe cuts and bruises that they could have um, endured along the day's travels. But as much as there's a, a, a practical use for oil, there's, there's also a spiritual use for oil that we see throughout the Bible. And it's, it's the use for consecration. 
And in the Bible, the word consecration means the separation of oneself from things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with a perfect God. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 30 gives us an example of that. When it says, next, Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, and he sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. And in this way, he made Aaron and his sons and their garments holy. It's also the the picture that we see um, in the Old Testament when a prophet would go and anoint someone as king over Israel. They would take literally a a horn of oil and they would open it up and they would pour it over top of the person's head. And it would run down their hair and their face and their nose and their beard and drip down onto their robes. And it it signified that that person had been set apart for a special purpose, that they were going to be king over God's people. Consecration carries with it the the connotation of sanctification or holiness or or purity. Like, an example of that is, like, I don't know how you do it in in your house, but in the SNAP household, we eat on paper plates. Unless something really special is happening. And then we break out the dishes that you have to wash afterwards. Like, that's how you know, like, it's a holiday or an anniversary or someone's birthday or something like that because we're eating on actual, like, porcelain or glass dishes. Or maybe some of you were like me and and you had a baseball card collection when you were a kid. And and I I had a baseball card collection, a a small one, and and there were certain cards that they would be worth, you know, like a penny or five cents or whatever. I had a stack of those, and I just threw them in an old shoebox. Then I had some other cards, and they were worth a few dollars, and I had them in a binder, and they, there were some plastic sleeves that I would slide them down into, but, but then I had some cards that they were worth a, a little bit of money, and, and for those, I put them in an acrylic like sandwich thing that you would seal the card up away from the air and the elements, and it had screws in the corners that you would lock it down, and I had these little easels that they would sit on, and I would display them on a shelf because they were worth money. They were something of value. They weren't like just any old run-of-the-mill baseball card that you would throw in a shoebox. They were something that mattered and made a difference. You need to know this morning that you're something that matters and makes a difference, that the good shepherd has consecrated you. You've been chosen, and you have been called. You have been set apart for the unique plan and purpose that he has for your life. And you are not to be deterred by the irritations and aggravations that you experience along the way. You are not to be set back by the difficulties and adversities of this life. But instead, you are to stand firm on the promise of what 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, that you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Not just anybody, you are God's possession. You are his child, you are his sheep, you belong specifically to him. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness, out of the valley of the shadow of death, into his wonderful light. And this morning, you can place your confidence in the good shepherd because he is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is here. 
and he protects us with his company. He is Jehovah Azair, the Lord is my help, who protects us with his covering. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my victory, who protects us with his care. And he is Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies, who protects us with his consecration. All you and I have to do is simply exchange fear for faith. Exchange our fear for faith. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come out and lead us in worship. And as they do, if, if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Blake, I am walking through that valley today. I'm in the middle of a situation. I, am, I, I find myself in, in, in the, the midst of a circumstance. But today, I, I want to exchange fear for faith. I'm going to leave my fear at the altar, and I want to take up faith. Let that be the mantle that I walk out of here under. Then what I would ask you to do, if that's you, as, as after I pray and, and the band comes to lead us in worship, I'd, I'd love, if that's you, to, to be able to just anoint you with oil, to consecrate you, that you would be a person whose life is not determined, it's not dictated, it's not defined by your fear, but instead you're going to walk out of here as a person whose life is determined and dictated and defined by your faith. I'm going to anoint you that the Lord would set you apart and that as you find yourself in the midst of that valley, that you'd be able to walk with your head held high because you are under the lordship and the leadership of the good shepherd and that his sunshine is the only reason the shadow exists in the first place. So can we pray together? Heavenly Father, just thank you for sending us the good shepherd that in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be alone. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to place our faith, our hope, our trust, our confidence in him because he's present in our lives. He's helping us every step of the way that, that in and through him, we can be victorious as he fights on our behalf. And that because of him, we've been chosen, we've been set apart, we have been sanctified for a special purpose and a work. Pray that you would make that real in the hearts and lives of your people today. And then in place of their fear, they would take hold of faith. In Jesus' name we pray these things.